Welcome to the Hear K Tell podcast, where we discuss the transition from sport to career. I am your host, Christina Alexander, and joining me today is Tim Headache Giddens, founding member and legendary baller with the A and One streetball team, former student athlete and alum at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, former NBA, USBL, and international player former WNBA coach and scout for the Dallas Wings and current associate producer for Madden NBA Live. Tim will discuss how confidence, perseverance, faith, and family in God have allowed him to continue to be successful, a.k.a. a good headache. Welcome, Tim. What up, KK? What's happening? I'm happy to have you on this platform, brother. Your story, I mean, A A A to Z. And I got so many stories I want to share with our listeners, but let's just... Let's kind of just start with you. Like, where does the basketball journey begin for you? With whom, where? Like, talk about where you're from. Not everybody knows, you know, your history. Oh, yeah. Well, for me, it started with um, in Harlem, New York City. But really, it started off as a love-hate, a love-hate thing. With my dad my dad played, um, and he was played the Harlem Globetrotter as a park legend in New York City. Did a whole bunch of stuff, but he was one of them dads that was super hands-on. Mm-hmm. So it kind of pushed me away where I didn't want to do it around him because then it, then it became workout. <laughs> then it became mm. you no know, getting yelled at. So I so I so whenever he was around, I wouldn't play, but I would play when he wasn't around and kill all the dudes. And when he come to the park, I sit down, and he'd be like, "Why you ain't playing?" Now I didn't want to play. And then, when, and then when he passed, when he passed away, I, then I, I was like, that was like my, that was like my connection, you mm-hmm. know, playing with him and proving that I can play the game. And then that's when I kind of like really bought in. I played every sport, but that was like the one sport I know I can really dive in and lose myself. And it forced me to get better. Wow. <laughs> now, what position, well, talk about your dad. Like what position did he play? Um, you know, were you the same uh, position? Did he teach yeah. you? You know, because when we get into how you became headache, it's important to understand your humble beginnings. Um, well, he actually died when I was eight, but just watching him play was a point guard. He actually played at the Harlem Globetrotters, known as a road runner, one of the smaller guards. I got my height from my mom, um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know that that um, you know I'm standing six three. My dad probably was like five. I'm say I. I might give him five, 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 six, but he's one of like. Oh yeah, he was he was a mini. He was a mini. But he, but he was but he was a monster on the court because he was in shape and all that stuff. He, you know, that old school, you know, that 60, 70, 80 basketball. You know, they was just, never get tired. Yeah, super no such strong. thing as quitting. So everybody knew him. Well, he had all the tricks going between his leg layups and all that stuff. I got to watch it when I was earlier watching him play, but that was like the last I got to really kind of see it. So growing up, it was like okay. How can I be as good? So like Goose Tatum, that played with the Globetrotters, Bob McCullough that played, that got drafted in NBA. That's you know each one, each one in New York City. All these like my Godfathers, and not knowing, seeing them when you older, you you, you know the history, but younger, you like who he's mm-hmm. old, and like these are guys who play with Kareem Jabbar and um, Battlegrounds Park. Well, I got to see all these guys play, but I didn't know what a pro looked like, and they were pros. So. But all these guys, like guys who kind of like overshadowed me while I was growing up in New York City, watching me. And every once in a while, they see me and be like, yo, you like your dad. And to me, that was kind of like a foreign question because I never got to see him play. So I didn't understand what that was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hmm. So let's, let's kind of like really find out how did you get the name Headache? 
Uh, like, when did that happen? Was that when you were eight? When you were eighteen? Like, um, around fourteen, fifteen, when it really kind of solidified. Um, when that, and then it been so many different stories, just about how it happened, and basically mainly because um, playing in parks and just which I'm playing, and I was actually solidified at fifty fifth when I was playing in the game. I had a badge around my head, and one of the Duke Tangles them saw me, and I was killing. And I went down, and they was like, "Yo, this dude's a problem. We're gonna call him headache." And 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 then and then when we went to, I played in Queens, right before my next game in Rucker Park when he finally officially gave it to me. I was known as the Wizard because I used to always had a whole bunch of assists and defense. So I played, and they brought they brought all these guys out. They started calling me headache, and I, and we we're basically Park in Queens. Skip, they brought Skip Garbage and Soul, Dave Edwards, who just passed last year. And they brought these guys out to play against me because that was like my that side of Queens versus this side of Queens that that I played for one of the top drug dealers out there. So when I got there, the crowd was packed, and these dudes aspirins. And I made a move and shook somebody up, and they started throwing aspirins on the court. Stop it! Only, only, stop only, it! Only in the hood, and people don't believe me. Me and Skip argue about this all the time. He said it was because he made a move, and he said because I made a move. But it's a it's a it's a, actually a post article that I have that somebody wrote about it and talked mm-hmm. about it. And it was at the game. Like and they wrote I guess one of the writers who played basketball wrote wrote the article about it and took a picture of me, which was hilarious. And they talked about that same scenario. But I took only in the hood people oh, buy, yeah. that buy aspirins that somebody could have used for a headache. <laughs> and just so wait, so wait, wait, I gotta ask this though. Were they throwing him at the gentleman who you crossed up, like trying to hit him in the head? Yes. Or were they just throwing him on the court? Because that, you know, that's some New York stuff right there. That throwing, you try they, to violate somebody they throwing, when they, they, they down. They were throwing at the person I shook up. Oh gosh. <laughs> we know. don't know who do we know who he do we know who he is? Is he still is he still active? Skip to my loop. Oh. That's what I'm playing against. Ooh. See, I, said, okay. He said it was ver- we 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 we'd agree to disagree. He yeah, said, we'll agree to disagree, yeah. And, and I was like, what? Everybody, I don't tell this story. Everybody else tell this story. So that's all. Got that's it. All. We'll leave it at that. Like you said, agree to disagree. Oof, throw an aspirin at my head. Hey, the okay, article, headache. Hey, the article on my website, you can go to uh, headache, headache13.org. Uh, There's an article up there that talks about it. And it says that they threw aspirin at the guy I shook up. And only God was God of me. Facts. Facts. <laughs> facts now talk about you know what did streetball do for you in a sense like when you talk about your upbringing and you know playing in the parks would you say that that kind of groomed you for all of your all of your successes later on um i say yeah i said it, it actually it gave me a shield um growing up the way i did not having my dad not having my mom trying to figure life out and and every and every point, I think everybody needs something they can go and 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 lose themselves when that time of need. Like, and to me, that was my one thing I can go to and be somebody different. No matter, mm. no matter my financial status, or no matter what, if I didn't eat that night, no matter whatever it was, I can go lose myself and and I can win in that battle. You know, and and that's what it was for me. Did you gain confidence in that process? Oh, it gave me it gave me a lot of confidence because before I was like an invert, and nobody would ever believe this. <laughs> I'm already looking at you like stop lying, 
and we on audio only. Come on now. Look, Tim, a, headache, <laughs> introvert? Yeah, I okay. Was, I was a shy kid uh, trying to figure it out and like watching everybody else do it. And then when I when I got the law of the land and just saw like, you know, okay, this is how this works. Okay. <laughs> I became a terror because I grew, also grew up behind Speedy, all the guys that seen above the rim, all mm-hmm. the basketball players that that talk, that talk, that talk and walk and walk. So I was like, I'm watching them go, okay, I'm taking notes, but I'm going to do it my right. way. Right. Mm, headache. Hmm. Okay. Now, you take your playground street ball and you take that to college. But let's first talk about high school for you because we both grew up, we're from New York. Now, you grew up in the city. Me, I'm, I'm a Long Island girl, but you know, shout out to Christ the King. We, we were successful over there. Talk about your high school career. What was that like? Um, high school for me was, it was, it became, it, it actually was dope and like kind of like depressing sometimes. Because you look at it, I went to high school. I went, I got out of high school my first year. I went to Rice with the, you know, the famous Rice. Out of, of course, of course. Um, we had a top freshman class recruited that year. With Felipe Lopez, um, we had Reggie Freeman in, myself, Ziggy McKee. We had a dope. Um, my freshman year playing there, we actually went undefeated until the game, the championship game, to go to state for Cabot School. Um, my freshman year playing freshman ball, and mm. well, wow, and it's a funny story. I talk about it, and it was like we wore practice uniforms the whole time, or reversible jerseys the whole time. The day of the championship game, the varsity team already lost. With Felipe and and Jeremy Colorado, and they lost they they lost their game to go so they out of the tournament. They tell us we can wear their uniforms. I'm like, no. I was adamant. I'm like, no. Oh no, we don't do that. We want to wear their uniforms, and we've been beating everybody by twenty. We want to wear their uniforms, and you know, I'm not superstitious, but we wound up you losing took, that game. You took that L. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. thinking about two or three, and a lot of people was fouling out. And I'm like, yo, let's stay what we do. And you know, we want and I tell you about I always blame it, I always blame it on that. We wore a uniform and we should have never we should have never lost that game. Interesting. And, Interesting. And I, and I left I actually left Rice because um Dean, I actually I paid nobody knows. I ran track at Rice. I was I was actually like top. No, I did not know that. You track? Yeah. That was okay. I ran I ran I ran cross country, I was top five in the city. Okay. That's different. I thought you meant like the 40 or the 60. Oh no. Nah. I always been fast, but I ran cross country just because I was trying something new. And 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 sports for me was my babysitter to get out the house. Because you know, we live I live in the city in the city, New York right. City. And mm-hmm. people was dying left and right. So that my mom wasn't mom wasn't playing that. So, you know, I I if I play a sport, I get to stay out. You can stay out. <laughs> Shout out to Auntie. <laughs> so I play a lot of sports, not because I was really good at it, just because I got free time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, all right. So, where was your second second stint? Now, my second stint, I tra- actually transferred to Manhattan Center, where I had, you know, I, I played JV, and I actually met my one of my good, like my I call my god dad now, who I actually met, and we was having, you know, a little argument back and forth because I was I was frustrated because I thought, you know, winning winning everything, winning the championship at Rice, and then almost going to state. I was like, yo, I should be st- I should be on varsity, but not knowing the public school side, they already had like four Americans on the team at Madison. Yeah. And they different like, situation. And I was like, I came in and I remember and and my, my guy Sean Nelson kind of put me on playing at Rucker Park 
with Daha Records, I play in the blue, it called the blue and white game. And now you know me, KK. It's the young me too. Oh gosh. I was I was I was mad because I, I ain't on varsity. They put me on JV. Oh no. The blue and white game is in front of all the student body. Oh no. It was like an all-star game celebrity. Oh no. Somebody got yanked. Oh snatched. I gave everybody I gave I gave Ooh-wee. all the hope. That was my coming mm. out. That was my coming out party. At that night. was gonna say. And they and they was like, <laughs> "Yo, you don't play varsity." And I remember, people don't notice. I played with Cam, Mace, the rappers. You know, so and Cam yes, Mace, I did know that. I know mm-hmm. you knew that. And then Rich Parker, you know, Dwayne Jordan. We had a crew, and I came out, and that was my upcoming party. And everybody like, "Yo," the next day, like, "Yo, you gonna play varsity?" They put me on JV, and I was mad. Mm. But, I tell everybody, I took it on everybody in the city when it came to that because I averaged forty plus on JV because I was just mad. <laughs> I was just mad that I was playing it, you know. And I, I my my sophomore year when we lost when Madison lost in the championship game when Cam missed that shot they talked about in the garden. I was at the game because even though I wasn't on varsity, I still traveled with them and went with them because I was like, you know, I was like that kind of like you're gonna be here, you're just not gonna be here right now. Right, right, right. You know, so, so I was actually in the in the garden with them when Cam. Took that shot and missed it in uh, Manhattan Center. So, all right. So your high school career, you take your talents to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. How does a young man from the inner city get to Wisconsin-Milwaukee? I'm trying to understand it because that's the first. I want to say that's probably like the second transition. Street ball, but that was really your playground. That was, you know, you... You have already received your name, headache. You were doing things in the park. How was that transition from inner city to to, to Milwaukee? But I'll make you laugh. You know, that ain't my first stint in college. Talk to me then. So my first stint in college, actually, my senior year in high school, I averaged probably nine steals a game, about 15 points, and probably eight assists on that team. I hyperstanded my knee. The last game of the season, and we only lost we we only lost one game that year, and that was the last game I got hurt at because I had to, I had to leave and go to the hospital. So right after okay. that, no school recruited me. Like I had oh, you know, injury I had, injury. I had, I had over three hundred recruits. I had a hyper extension, but back then, you know, nineteen ninety four, you know, we didn't have technology we have now. Way different. You know, so I had hyper extension third. It was like a big a major sprain, and just a lot of schools stopped recruiting me. Like it was just. Like, I guess they was like, and I was still one of the best guards in the city, but like, they just stopped. So I went into my, my senior year. I didn't know about SAT. So I wanted to um, talk to a doctor friend who knew um, but, um, Earl, Pearl, Earl Pearl and um, put me this guy named Eddie Gregg and start playing basketball. And he was an alumni of Winston State. So he took me to work out for Winston State down in North Carolina. And uh, Big House Game, who Garbage and Soul, he just passed a couple of years ago. Was the winningest black coach in NCAA history, um, Coach Earl Pearl, Coach Lotta God. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I was in the gym doing what I do, and he was like, "Yo, that's, that young guy got something." But when I went to go, I I, I went to there out of out, out of state students, so I basically had loans. I, did, I should have been a Division One player straight out of high school, but I wound up not, and I went to some state having loans and all kind of stuff. And Big House Game wasn't there no more; he retired. So now his new coach is there for a year, and he didn't. I walked. This is this is you know this is me, KK. I walked in the coach's office to meet. Uh-oh. This 
I was like, hey, how you doing? He's like, he said, hey, you're old country bunking too. He's like, he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, who, who are you? I said, how you doing, coach? I'm your new starting point guard. You're you're you already know, KK. You, I, I already know, Timmy. <laughs> I already know. I didn't lack no I didn't lack no confidence in the basketball. Other stuff maybe, but not that. So he like he felt it. He felt it as a disrespectful, but you know, we we come from a basketball city. So I'm like, Moko's go, let me see what you got. He didn't want to do that. Challenge. Kind of, Competitiveness. He was kind of mad about it. So open run is in the gym. Well, all everybody's in the gym. His his star player who actually now reps now, Fansley, all these guys in there, all the girls in there. Remember, it's a black college. It's in there. Smoke. I lay uh -oh. some up and I go uh -oh. at everybody. Here we go. I go at everybody. They if you didn't know who headache was, you're gonna find out today. And uh, and I went at everybody and I'm killing them. And I looked at him. I looked at the coaches on the baseline at the coach's door watching me kill him. I said, like I told him to start a point guard. They can't do nothing with me right now. And he's your guys. Like, you know, just. Oh, gosh. I, headache. Like, like, headache you know, was, in the I, making. I was just young. I was young. I had a lot of big on my chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it worked out well for you. So, so how does that transition? Like, how did you. Obviously, he and, knew then but it didn't that he had to have you. He wound up getting fired. Now, while I'm not playing my freshman year, I wound up rehabbing with the football team, get my legs better. Now, I wound up staying there one more year, and the new coach came in and was still, you know, I'm not one of his guys. You know that I'm not your guy guy. And yeah. he recruited mm -hmm. guys. And I'm in the gym destroying them guys. So he didn't really want me to do that. So I wound up, after that year playing a little bit, I wound up transferring because I'm like, if I'm going to, he gave me book money. That's the problem. I was the best scorer, point guard on the team. He turned around and gave me book money. Like I always been about my money. So, so I'm like, yeah, if, I'm, if I'm if I'm if I'm a, if I'm gonna play, and I'm a, I'm one of your best players, you gonna give me book money. But the kid I'm better than, you gave him a full ride. I'm gonna be a student. I'm not yeah. going. Yeah, you're taking your talents it don't, somewhere it, else. It don't add up. So I, I was a student. I said, "Yeah, I got my grades again. I want to transfer back home and going to FIT, where we went to nationals and you know had a good yes. And then that's Fashion I, Institute I, I, of Technology. Yeah. So I, a lot of people don't know that I went down there, won a championship, and I'm actually the last championship that was over the door of the school before they stopped the basketball program. And mm. went to nationals, lost in the second round on nationals. And I tell everybody, I said, you know, I got recruited by a lot of coaches. And, and what's so that's how you ended up at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Okay. Yep. And a lot. That was a long journey. but it, 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 Well, it, what was it about that transition? I mean, obviously, there were, as you just detailed for us, there were steps. There were progressions to it. But what do you remember most about that transition? I think the transition from that it was more academic and just being patient and learning how to be mm. an athlete because a lot of people don't know when you go and be a student athlete it ain't about just the game if you're good you're good it's you adapting to everything that's about to happen around you from going to Ooh. class when dealing with people Mic drop you know say wait hold on tim say that again <laughs> because for for our recruits who are listening for those folks who don't understand the mental piece like like you said take away the physical Repeat that again for them. Yeah, like so people understand like when you really do this, it's more it's not about your game. It's more about the ability to be able to adjust to things around you. And the thing around you is the people you deal with from classroom to classroom, professors, understanding time management, 
I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know any of that coming from New York City and then going to West, going to West, uh, West um, State and then going to FIT. I, it, was, it was like my test run for Wisconsin because I was going basically to all white university mm-hmm. after that. So it kind of gave my test run. And to me, that was the biggest thing. And then not having my parents and I had people that supported me, but not that much. It was it was a definitely, you know, I had to grow up fast and, and figure it out. And it gave me that resilience because my thing was, if I don't, if I'm not successful, what I go back to? True. You know, mm. my my family gonna let me sit on the couch and just chill, and I didn't want to work at, I didn't want to work, a, I didn't want to be a maintenance worker, or nothing like that. Not saying <laughs> that job, but I'm like, I watch my family struggle, so I'm not trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what did you being at university, new environment, new people? What did you take away that helped you to? really become legendary with and one i mean because i want to share with the listeners my experience with you on the road but how did your collegiate land you really like becoming a part of that and one movement and for those folks because we date ourselves for those folks who don't know and one was before social media it was before tiktoking instagram if we had that back then timothy Oh, oh man we wouldn't be we probably wouldn't be doing this right now because we'd be sitting next to Oprah or something. But anyway, I digress. Talk about that transition like from college basketball, because you, you spend a little bit of time in the professional ranks. How did you get to this and one headache? The, the easiest way I can say this, and it's gonna pe- people make people laugh. I was pissed off. Mm. I was, talk talk about that. Because when I went to Wisconsin Milwaukee, a lot of people know I didn't play my senior year. Because I dealt with, I dealt with a college coach who recruited me, but wasn't the head coach. The assistant was the head coach, and they were deciding who played what play and what he liked and didn't like. And I was all about basketball, so I didn't care about nothing else. I figured if I outplay these guys, I play, and that wasn't the case. And it was nobody on the team better me at my position, but for some reason I wasn't playing. I got frustrated with it. I started, you know, I started asking questions, but then that made me get in the gym. I made me work harder. It made me. Like I was a dude that before I was in the gym before practice playing pickup with regular guys, killing them, and then getting practice out on everybody. Because my thing, and then my coaches get mad. Why well, you can't do that? Like so, I was okay. I stopped doing that. But it was more that I just was hungry. So then when I didn't play my senior year, I was frustrated. I'm like, I'm gonna be a pro regardless. You ain't gonna stop me. I know too many people in New York City. I was I was me before I got here, and I'm always gonna be me when I leave. So right. so when I left. Everybody in New York, my first year home in 99, I, I, I got MVP, I got All-Star and, and MVP and Rucker and all the different tournaments. I was getting 40 every because I came home mad and frustrated. Because this coach, this coach, this man who should have been a who should have been a leader for me and helped mature me was I call I call him a shell of a man because there's a lot of these coaches pretending to be men and, and they really not. And he didn't see this young kid who was trying to find his way. He saw he he saw opportunity to break a, a, another black man down, and to me that I'll never I have to forgive him because of my relationship with God, but I'll never forgive for the fact that if I was a weak individual, I'd have been a statistic. Mm-hmm. Well, you weren't, <laughs> yeah. because then, like you said, you had that chip on your shoulder, and you were destined. So that it it made you work harder. It made you pursue what you already knew that I'm. I'm gonna make it. So how did so how did the and one thing come about? Because you it didn't just fall in your lap. I know I, that it's actually through people. Like I was home planning everything, killing everything, 
And um, one of my guys called me, um, and you probably remember George at the YMCA, 9 Second Y. Uh, yeah. He um he called me and he was like, yo, I want you to meet somebody. And they got this thing they want to do. They traveling and one, they trying to do some some tour stuff. And they want some of the best guys that can do stuff. And I say, yo, you perfect for it. Uh, he in the gym all the time killing. So I go to the gym. I meet this guy named um, Smalls and Set Free. He's like one of my big bros now. He's been together forever. Who was putting together the mixtape. They took the one mixtape and um, skipped stuff and put music to it. And like we're going to do a tour behind it and help push this brand out. Um, and when we did that, we... Um, the rest is history? Yeah, the rest was like crazy because we just we connected. Like he like, oh, I love him. And then, you know, I went and help him get help him get future to come on board, help him get Kraft Ferguson, um half man, half man and Kraft Ferguson to come aboard. And we just went with seven guys and we started, you know, we did what we did best. So wait, so go ahead and name the first seven, because I think that's important. The first seven was uh that people always say Skip. Skip was never part of the, the mixtape tour. He was already in the league. So everybody was putting him in there, but he's really right. I would say tour. So the first seven was that signed a con- actually signed a contract was me, main event, uh, Shane the Dribble Machine, Future, Kraft Ferguson, Half Man Amazing, and then Dan- um, Garbage of Soul, Troy Truesdale, which was TNT. He's the security at the um, right, Pro-Am. right. He he was like our big bro security guard, kind of like for us. Classics, ooh. Mm, New York, New York legends right there for you. Drop those nuggets. Yeah. So as a founding member of the and one streetball team today, your legacy is forever etched in the basketball community is headache. Like as a New Yorker, when you say the name headache, they don't know Timothy. They, they might know Gittins. What does that mean to you when people say headache is forever etched in the basketball community? Um, it's it's kind of it's dope. And it's and it's surreal at the same time because this is what we this is what this is what basketball players you know want at the end of their career to be known for what they've done and to be put in to be put into a light with other greats. It just it makes you go, "Dang, I really put some work in," mm-hmm. you know. And not to be talked about in a bad light, you go, "Wow, wow!" And then you know to take it even further, you know, I've been blessed because. I'm internationally known for what I've done because we basically put the face of basketball on the world market. And what you see today in 2022, all these guys that play like us, from Steph Curry to Kyrie Irving, was a big and women's state fan, to Dame Dillard, they all True. hashtag their basketball games after us. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, you know, and they, they, they say other things, but we all know that Kyrie always said, I'm a mixed state fan, the best comment ever to me, and, and I love my bro, Gilbert Arenas. He he made a comment. He said, "All these guys going, going to uh, these trainers." He said, "My trainer was the Anwar mixtape. My man headache, my man headache was smooth with that basketball. He went down the lane with with everybody. And to me, a dude who did it on the highest level and was one of the killer, one top killers in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Wasn't I, in his I, prime? Yeah, in his Gilbert prime. Arenas, legit. And, and I tell everybody, I said, I'm. I was thankful for him saying that. Amen. Amen." Now, obviously, you're on the and one street ball circuit. You guys are traveling. It's everything and one. What separated you? Like, what was your thing? Because you just named the, the first seven, and you all had different skill sets. 
But what was it about headache? Me, I think me um, coming from my biggest thing was I I was using N one to get to the next level because you know, okay, you know me better than anybody. I wanted to be in the league. I played against right. guys. I destroyed a lot of NBA guys. I know mm-hmm. I can play there. And for me, it was a business because it was about me getting wealth. So my thing was when I looked at the N one mixtape, I was looking at it as a business. I was looking at it as how can I make money to buy my have my home paid for, and and not have to show what my family did. So when I walked in the company. I was like, I'm going to be better than everybody. My, I'm going to make it look easy the way I do it. So I train hard. And at the same time, I'm going to be a part of every aspect of the, of the company when it came to marketing, when it came mm-hmm. to the opinion of what went out. And also, I you know people won't admit this, but I ran I ran the tour basically when it came to the guys when they was in trouble. I was like the, the, the team captain and team leader. And I also sat in a lot of meetings when it came to different decisions. So my thing was about the whole brand headache. And then on the tour, and you know this, I had my own website. Well, I yeah. had two million people. And I was the first person to have like a web website, not, mm-hmm. not, not not a page, none of that. I had a website functioning with fan base and all of that. And to me, that I was trying to, I was already trying to build the brand a headache before Instagram and all that stuff way before. So that that was me. I was I, I was always different. Yeah. No, I knew that then. But, so talk about let's transition from because I like to think and one lasted what. Correct me, 10, 12, 13 years? About 13. 13 years? Yeah. So the coach in you, because the way we met, you you were a coach. You were somebody that, you know, it didn't matter where we were, who was with us. We were going to get our workouts in the gym. And we're not talking, you know, these days, we weren't doing nothing for the gram. We spent time in the gym, strength training, conditioning. He said he ran track. I understand now where that came from, but you know, you were, you were a coach then preparing, trying to get us set for, to achieve all of our dreams. You know, how did that, how did that experience lead you to become eventually a coach, a scout in the WNBA with the Dallas wings? Um, I think it started with just relationships. My thing was I learned a long time ago, you hang around the people that you want to be or aspire to or help bring up. And, my thing was you, you. If you hang around like minds, you should always give them. I was never afraid to give anybody knowledge about the game, mm-hmm. because it happens because one, my confidence. Because I would like to, I can teach you everything I know. Don't mean you can do it on me. And facts. And, and that, and that's what I always live by. I had so many NBA guys to young guys who played against me. I was in the league, like Kimber and all of them. I'd be in the midst of a game and be like, Yo, why are you doing that? Do this. I, I gave you the formula, but you still got to be able to, you know, execute it. And you know, that's a key word for a lot of players. You got to be able to execute it. And a lot of them can't. Yeah. And, you know, so very true. That, that's what I was about. And I love that. I love the fact when somebody learns something, the joy in their face and the ability to do something, that kind of sparked me to be able to do it. And I hate the fact that I was taught a lot of things wrong. So when I when I mastered my, my skill, I always gave down. I always gave back to the people that was below me or even on the same level as me. I coached so mm-hmm. different. You know, Kicker, you've been a gym me. And so many NBA guys that came through that was pros that, that worked out with us because we pushed them. Yep. Yep. Because our workouts was incredible. I, I, I know for a fact I got at least nine or eight WBA Hall of Famers who 
broke out me all the time. Facts. Well, we we're not gonna talk. We're not gonna we're not gonna share that story. Okay. About teaspoon. We're not gonna do that, Tim. We gonna. This is about you. Teaspoon gonna come later. But it's a very interesting story that Tim could get headache can get you to do something. The, the epitome of a coach could get you to do something that you didn't think you had it in you. You didn't you didn't think you had enough juice left. But Tim will put you in a position where those competitive juices will fly and you perform and you execute. I don't care what nobody says. I don't touch every line. I didn't have a jump shot in high school, but he saw something in it. I, I was still looking for it when I was you know, pursuing my professional career. But boy, I can give you that left to right crossover. But you, but you mastered it. Like we, like after that summer, boy, you was lighting it up. Yeah, all those workouts you put us through. Amen. Amen. So what was it like coaching, scouting in the WNBA? And obviously being a male and dominating on the on the men's side, coming over to the to the women's side. What was that like? Um it was different. It was it was challenging when it came to because I'm used to the old era. So I've been around WNBA for twenty years with the older players who actually worked out with me and I train who's now also coaches too. So it was the transition of this new generation of the work is different. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these kids don't know what work look like, you know, well, you know, you know, so the babies. So when you try to teach, introduce them something new, that's going to make them successful, even more successful because they made WBA. So they think that's the world. And I always tell people you here, but you got to work out to stay here. And, and a lot of them understand it. Cause me and you watched a lot of girls go in for one year or half a season Mm-hmm. And be done, and then they become overseas, and that's it. Where if they had to put the work in and time to, to master their craft, then it becomes easier for for you to continue that 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 great experience that we call the WNBA. And a lot a lot of them, you know, don't want don't want that. But being there, it was dope because I got to see some of the top girls. I got, I got to see some one of my one of my one of my favorite um, point guards I watched um, and actually interviewed her when I was working in NCA with Mariah Jeffries and I got to work with her and to watch her put the work in and just mm-hmm. watch, she four time NCA champion you know you you expect her to be like ah I'm a vet I want to do it she came in and put the work none in. of that and we talked none about of that it. and she and that that year she shot last year she shot the best of her life when she shot forty seven three and forty four from the field. And you know, me and you know the numbers. The numbers mean. I said, shout out, shout out to putting the work in. Yeah, and she speaks for itself. That's all it was, and and that's a testimony I tell any player: if you willing to put the work in and be successful, that's what it is. But like you said, the the transition was easy, but it was more the mental blockage of this of the new generation of seeing me and a man in front of them that's telling mm-hmm. them to do. But it's hard to it's hard to dispute it because when they call one of the WNBA vets, they go. It's oh, a little different. They go him. Oh, headache. Oh, nah. He, you need right. To him. They gotta get the backstory, <laughs> babies. Check right. the check the records. There's <laughs> right. no way. YouTube started what 2005. We you gotta go further than that. Yeah. You gotta go further than that. So okay, we'll talk about you know being the associate producer for Madden NBA Live. So you went from playing student athlete to professional at the peak, the height of your career, transitioning. I mean, I like to say you've always been a coach, but you actually started getting paid for it. (laughs) And you became, you know, in the WNBA, let's shout out to the WNBA. And now in this space, 
Madden NBA Live. Talk about that transition. Um, the transition was actually it was it was it's hard. It's still hard because it's something that people don't know how how hard it is to make a video game. But coming into when I first came to, at EA, I was coming on the basketball side, and I always been a chameleon. I can conform to anything, and you know my background is computer, and I love. Yes, that. you are a computer nerd. If I had to <laughs> say it, yes, that is my, you. I love my gadgets, and I also I play. I haven't played so when I came into NBA. Wait, all of your gadgets, yeah. Timothy. <laughs> all, every last one of them. Just had to say that. Yeah, and I, I still love them. I still love them. Um, but when I came in, I came in NBA Live, and my job NBA Live coming in. One of my friends called me and told me that they needed somebody to kind of keep the game authenticity right. And who else, you know, would be perfect for that? And that's why I did. Headache. Yep. And I came in, and they're always a big fan because remember they made they made street they made they made the NBA streets after our first game. Remember, we have the first street ball game ever made, which is street hoop. Didn't which is, which didn't know that. Didn't know that. And they kind of copied our stuff and made it better, and they made NBA streets, which. They made after our game. So I got to meet the producers that helped make that game that basically watched all our tapes and watched all of me. When I walked in, it was like a, such a, it was such a like, it was a dope feeling. Like I'm in a dope space, but I'm like the dope reason why they dope. It's like, it's weird to say that. And then the, Full circle. Yeah, Full circle. It's like, oh man, I'm, like I got a guy who's my age. He goes, oh, I'm a big fan. And I'm like, we the same age. But he's like, I'm a big fan because we made the video game after you and I get to see you and you was dope when you played and and he's the CEO and you know and um you know big guy big wigs in the company that's around my age, but they love what we did and, how, and we basically created a, you know we created we always created money for the for for the whole culture and we mm-hmm. a lot of jobs. Of course, I don't understand that. And to me, that was the surreal moment. But when I came in, they, they they put me in my they put me in my sweet spot, which is basketball. And of course, and of course. So. My job at EA when I first came in was to be help with the AI to get the game to play to play like basketball. And when I came in, I, I sat down and did that right away. So I, you know, I made the, the defense look like defense. I made the offense look like offense. And I taught the tech people what basketball was about. Cause you know, most people that work with tech don't know the kid in a candy store. <laughs> and, that, and after that, it was all she wrote. And then I started going into mocap um, directing where I started bringing in athletes because now my eyes, I know what a real athlete look like. And when you exactly when, when you do a mo when you do a mocap, you know it ain't like a camera. You take a picture, it don't cost you nothing. We do a, we do one set, and they mess up. That's thousand dollars to reshoot that one thing. So we try we gotta get this in one or two takes. So that way, because you know we transferred that that image into an asset, which is you know part of the video game. And to me, that's that's where I came in because now I'm talking basketball to basketball players because before it was a producer who never knew nothing about basketball talking to a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And we both know that, Christine. That's like talking, that's like yeah. talking at us because we don't know what you're talking about. Two different languages. <laughs> so I came in and changed that whole aspect and then also gave them access to bas- real basketball players because when I call them, they come. When they call them, they go, ah, I don't know. You know, so that relationship so, is different. So here you are starting your career, you were on Front Street. And then as time goes on, you're transitioning to the behind the scenes role. And it's almost as if now, and I don't want to say you've always done this because you've been near and dear to me. We're family, you you know, you're my brother, but you've always bridged the gap between whether you were in high school, if you was in the gym with us, you could work out with us, you could play with us. It didn't matter. And so here you are now in your current role, bridging the gap with those non-athletic, non-athletes, 
to those behind the scenes folks and kind of at this at the at the end of the day producing what the world wants to see once again headache yeah look i say facts <laughs> you silly you silly i love it i love it so what's next for you headache i mean you uh, got a beautiful family you're doing what you love i feel like these transitions each of them have a story you've been successful what's next for you um right now i'm i've got i'm working on one big project right now that you've been pushing me on I'm trying to um work of course a, a book. that's what family does yeah. but go ahead come a book on my life um trying to finish that up um just shot just shot 30 for 30 for us that nice to be coming to be coming soon so we need the details for that so we can let our listeners know and give you a shout out here again on the here ktel podcast <laughs> nobody won't know but it should be coming soon but i, I when i get the date I'll, I'll hit you back with it uh, okay but um, we'll be we'll be watching. Yes, I'm and I'm right now. I'm working on a project, trying to looking to probably do my own gym, but uh, but not uh, just a basketball training gym, but probably something that can help the community and also help young athletes and and, mm -hmm. and, and young people, other than just other than just playing basketball, but academics and also just you know mental peace. Cause my wife's a minister, so uh, I think you know in some aspect you need somebody you can talk to because uh, yep, and and just be able to have a conversation and and not be judged you know unfortunately we got a lot of people that's having conversation with our youth and our athletes that's judging them because they've never been in their shoes mm -hmm. preach you know, preach preach you no know, you can't have i always say you can't have a rich person talk to a homeless person about what they should do when they ain't never been homeless mm. you know so and i tell you all the time I'm, i'll never do that but that, that's what made me special when it comes to coaching and stuff like that, because every aspect I've been in, I know it's like not to eat. I know it's like to be broke. I know it's like to work hard. I know it's like not to achieve something, you know, so Full circle, you know, so, Full I, circle. so when we give advice, my, my advice is different than people that just, that talks from the high horse. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm coming from every level and, and me and you talked about this a long time ago. And I hope all coaches that's listening understand this. I talk about being able to read. And when I talk about being able to read, when you walk in a room, you should be able to read the individual, the, 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 the room itself. If you can't, mm -hmm. you're in the wrong business because it's not about what you know and how and what you think you know. It's about what's really going on in front of you. And a lot of times we miss that. Very true. Our, Very true. And our athletes. Well, as point guards, you know, we we read rooms. It, you know, we've been reading rooms since we was babies. But, you know, for the rest of the world, that's what we do. <laughs> exactly. I throw a bounce pass across the world if I have to. <laughs> I know that's right. Oh, man. I love it, Tim. Join us next week for a new episode, new guests, and more nuggets. Be sure to download the podcast and leave a review. I appreciate you guys for that. This episode was sponsored by Avian's Tea Room. For all the things tea, loose leaf, honey, and tea accessories, avianstearoom.com. Appreciate you, Tim. Thank you. Always a pleasure.